Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Football Social Daily, the Euro Special. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily, Euros 2020 edition, uh, the morning after, the day after, England versus Ukraine. My name's Ant McGinley, we're going to be looking back over the game in finite detail and also having a quick look at the opponents that await England in the semi-final. Uh, then we're going to have a quick look at the gossip market and a particular focus on one player who shone in last night's game who's just signed a rather big contract deal. Helping me do all this, I'm joined by England fans and football journalists, uh, Jay Motti. How are you doing, mate? You okay? Very, very well indeed. Pleased to have you with us. And also football journalist, Rob Blanchett. Hi, Ant. Good morning to you both. So, the first thing to ask is, I didn't see it coming. Did did you predict a, a performance like this, Jay? Um, I didn't, to be honest with you. I'm still sort of jaded with a lot of cynicism when it comes to England. Uh, and a lot of, you know, as they say, so many years of hurt and all that sort of stuff. So even though I thought we had the better team and I thought we could get past Ukraine, I didn't think we'd, you know, get an early goal and, and sort of blow them out of the water in the manner that we did. I think it was just a, a, an almost perfect performance by England. So I wasn't expecting that. I was pleasantly surprised. And yeah, I think uh, Gareth Southgate deserves a lot of credit. I was pleased when I saw the team, the lineup. It was probably the most excited I've been so far this tournament with an England lineup. Great to see Jaden Sancho. I know we're going to get on to him shortly starting. But yeah, it was just such a good performance. And I thought Gareth Southgate not only got his tactics right, but got his in game management right as well. Uh, and it showed against a team that, if we're being brutally honest, wasn't the greatest, but you've still got to beat what's in front of you. And let's face facts, we've said that about the likes of Iceland in the past, haven't we? Yeah, and I think you could go through the team and there's outstanding performances everywhere all the way through it. And I, as you're both United fans, Rob, I want to come to you with, with this little thing. I saw a brilliant tweet here, which compared Luke Shaw uh, to Zinedine Zidane. And uh, Luke Shaw got more assists in three minutes and 51 seconds than Zinedine Zidane did in 14 European matches, <laughs> matches at the Euros. I mean, it's been heaped on him. Obviously, he's had such a horrendous time both with injury and also with a certain manager that he had at United I mean for you having seen his journey all the way through how great was that to see that performance last night well they don't call him Shorberto Carlos for no reason <laughs> you know that's that's the nickname and it's going to stick uh, it's fantastic to see this for Luke you know he's had such a kind of up and down time at United the expectations we know at our football club are, are huge 
And I think, you know, going into last season, it was a kind of crunch time for him. He needed to kind of perform last year and he did. But now seeing him do it in an England shirt and giving him this kind of global stage, you know, the the assists and the, the whip that he gives England on that left-hand side, it's fantastic. And, and if England do go on to get to the final, there's no doubt that Luke Shaw will be a major part of that. Now, I'm very aware that we've just kind of jumped deep feet first into the middle of this and there is a possibility that somebody listening didn't actually catch the match or see what happened uh, so if that was you England won 4-0 two goals for Kane uh, one for Henderson uh, picking up the fourth goal his first goal after 62 caps although he nearly got one uh, the other night didn't he which was uh, ruled out uh, thanks to VAR and uh, the other goal going to big Harry Maguire which according to the interviews afterwards was the biggest thud of the evening uh, when that goal went in so let's let's go back to the beginning we looked at the, the lineup uh one of the things that we we've noticed with the exception of the the scotland game southgate's pretty much matched up every team as he's gone up to it. he's changed the tactics he's changed um the lineup he's moved around he's it, no one really has been guaranteed with the exception of one or two places a, a start in that side um We've had talented players before, you know. That's that's undeniable. Is the difference really this time, Jay? Do you think the difference is down to Southgate? A hundred percent. I do. People are saying, "Oh, well, this is the best group of players we've ever had, or we've had since you know 1966, or whatever." And I'm not sure if I agree. I think we've had some really strong group of players. I mean, at one point we had what was touted as the England Golden Generation, and I always think back when you look at around the sort of. Say, say for example, you look at 2008, it's a good example. You know, you had the Champions League final between Chelsea and United and in every position by a goalkeeper, you had an English player. You had, like, you know, Ashley Cole, Real Fernand, John Terry, Wayne Rooney, Frank Lampard, just quality. And we didn't even qualify for the Euros that, that summer because, you know, it was obviously Steve McLaren and the Waller with the Broly. You look at, I mentioned it earlier about going out to Iceland. We had a really strong group of players then. To, you know, I could go through all the squads we've had over the past sort of 20 years or whatever, and we've always had strong squads, and in some cases, you know, excellent squads with world-class players, and we've never really looked like winning a competition. So I don't think it is just down to the, the, the quality that's available. I think that Gareth Southgate is getting a sort of, getting the best out of these players, creating an atmosphere where these players know what they're doing, want to play for him, or in a system that they can, you know, even when he changes it, that they can fit into and it works. And I think that that's why this is, been such a successful tournament and also I don't want to be negative as well but we have been slightly fortunate in the fact that we've had a, a relatively I wouldn't say easier run but an easier path to the final than we've perhaps had in previous tournaments so there is that factor as well but I think Gareth Southgate deserves a lot of credit because I think yes it's a very good squad but he's getting the best out of it and let's not think let's not pretend here how many times I'm, I'm sure you guys are the same have we seen the team announced and social media is awash with people going I can't believe Foden's not in. I can't believe Grealish isn't in. I can't believe he's dropped so-and-so. I can't believe, you know, he's sticking with Harry Kane, who's, who's not looked at the races. All that sort of stuff. He knows what he's doing, and every, every game he's been proven right. So I think Gareth Southgate does deserve a lot of credit for getting the best out of a good group of players. I, I think possibly the only way he does this is Gareth Southgate doesn't have social media. <laughs> possibly that's what <laughs> saves him from it. Probably so he doesn't see it. Yeah, and, and it doesn't bother him at all. Um... Rob, I want to look at Harry Kane because he's been up for, uh, until he got the goal against Germany, a lot of criticism, looking tired, he wasn't moving well, but he was looking 
worth every penny of whatever Man City or whoever threw at him this summer. Uh, getting his second goal, making it 3-0 after 50 minutes. And he looked alive, he looked fresh, he looked invigorated. Do you think all that's come just from getting that goal against Germany? Of course, and you know, goals pay the bills for strikers, don't they? Yeah, what I would say is I think during the group stages, even though obviously England navigated that well, they weren't really creating chances for Harry Kane. So one of the kind of takes that I was leaning on was that was that if you, get, if you don't give him the ball in and around the box, how can Harry Kane score your goals? Now what we're seeing is that England are being a little bit more cute with their creativity. I think Sancho's inclusion yesterday was a big one for that, to try to get England on the front foot, allow other players to come into the game. But I think, you know, we all know what Harry Kane is. And if England are going to win this tournament, Harry Kane has to be fit and firing. And you saw last night that if they get the ball to him in and around the box, he's going to score goals. Yeah, and and that was a really sort of uh, nice sort of vision of the future for any Man City fan. That opening goal, the way uh, it was just the slide drill pass uh, through from Raheem Sterling to Harry Kane. Could we be seeing more of that in the Premier League this season? We'll just have to wait and see. There was a moment when it was about 4-0 when the camera switched to Gareth Southgate because you knew at that point he's going to rotate the squad, rest players, which is the best thing. You know, so many games coming thick and fast after a difficult season. Moving into the semi-final now, the opportunity to rest people, take off players like Rice and Phillips who had the yellow cards. But there was a moment where I thought, when, when Southgate was speaking to his assistant, I thought there's almost like, I might come on for a bit. And that would have been lovely to see. But I, I just want to go back to you, Jay, on something you said about not being negative. Um, th- there, was one, there was one or two moments, and we've seen this in the Germany game as well, where there have been big blunders, but we've got away with it. So in the Germany game, it was that pass from uh, Sterling that went astray, which led to the chance for Muller, which he, he squandered. And then last night, I mean, brilliant positioning, brilliant uh, response by uh, Pickford coming out to make the clearance, but it completely fluffed the kick. Now, this was the thing that we've seen lots of, and he's been criticised for it a lot at Everton uh, in, in, in recent times. And I think in previous tournaments, in previous events, that's the kind of thing where we would have would have been our downfall. I'm thinking of um, the deflection uh, going off a certain United uh, player, Paul Parker, uh, going over Shilton's head. But it's that kind of thing that seems to have put us out of tournaments previously. And yet what's happened, it seems to be those things come and somehow the looks on our side or we just navigate around it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that when when the Pickford thing happened, it doesn't matter. I just remember thinking, I hope he doesn't do one of those in a big in a sort of game that where it does count. Because one thing I would hate to see as well is there's a real sort of positivity around this team. Everyone sort of is really rallying behind him. The whole country sort of there's a likability factor with this England team that I think's been missing over the past sort of 20 years or whatever. But we know how the media and, and just fans in general can turn and, and pillory a player. We saw it with you know. Beckham and uh, the effigies and all that sort of stuff and Phil Neville and you know I don't think we'll see dartboards on the back of national newspapers but you know what I'm on about about where we, we've seen players just get absolutely it's to see someone sort of end up like that whether it be Jordan Pitford or anyone else after doing such a tremendous job so far that is an element to Jordan Pitford's game there's talk of him being and working with some sort of I don't know if it's a psychologist or some sort of sports analyst who's trying to just calm him down a bit because he's full of energy, he's obviously, he's, he's almost hyperactive in goal, and I think they've had to sort of channel that in the right way, so he isn't making these mistakes and, and sort of being rash. He obviously had a lot of uh, 
stick and a bit of a tough time of it with the, the Van Dyke injury. And I think that sort of comes down to him as, as again, that, that energy he's got in the way that he sort of, you know, he, he can rush out a little bit, he can rush into things. And I think they've worked on that with him, with, with Everton in England. And he has been a lot better. You think he's having a, a good tournament, but he does need to be careful with things like that as well. Because, you know, you, went, you mentioned the Sterling one. Those 10 seconds, whatever it was, from Sterling giving the boy to, to, to Muller missing were, were the longest 10 seconds of my life because I was just dreading it. I was dreading it, not just because of the goal, but I, you can almost see it. I thought, he's going to get hammered here, Sterling. It's going to be all about, not about his goal, but about this. And I'd hate to see that because he took so much stick, Raheem Sterling, and come back for it so well to become almost like, you know, this national treasure now. Um, so, yeah, it is something that England players do need to be careful of. It's something, obviously, Gareth Southgate will be well aware of, but... I think this team has enough about it, has enough leaders in the team to, to hopefully weather any sort of mistakes that, that may come across. Now, Jay, you mentioned there about uh, a psychologist. Rob, if, if you look at, at what Southgate said at the end, you know, if you include the Nations League, that's three semi-finals back-to-back, effectively. And one thing that stood out for me, uh, which is why I picked up on the psychologist thing, was Guy Mowbray on the BBC commentary last night said uh, that this result was like therapy for all the hurt that you've been through as an England fan. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I've got a lot more demons to exercise (laughs) and there's more work to be done. But, I mean, do you think that the perception of the England team now within not just within the camp but within the within the fan base as well is one more of kind of not to be afraid not to be caught up on superstition Ooh, i don't know if i'd go with that one um i think it's okay just to to kind of uh, go along the sports psychology tip what you said there that's now become commonplace i think in english football over the last kind of 10 or 15 years it's something now that players are used to and it's there to help induce calm and confidence to kind of rely on facts rather than maybe as you just said their superstition or kind of maybe the the problems with self-esteem that we have in England in terms of how our footballers operate um but I, I don't know I think it was a little bit of a therapy session last night but it could all be undone in the semi-final so it's a it that might sound negative and uh lacking the the positivity of a 4-0 result but there's still obviously always that thing in the back of your mind where you think will England get over the line you know I was lucky enough to be out in Russia uh, working the games for the World Cup and you know before that Croatia game we were all convinced England were getting to a World Cup final so I still think exercising caution is the is the right way to go. The players look ready for it, but they've still got another mountain to climb. Yeah, yes, indeed. And we're going to look at Denmark in the, in the next section in, in some depth. But as you said earlier, Jay, they have very much had the easy side of the draw. And should they overcome Denmark, uh, they will be facing either Italy or Spain in the final. All that said, I don't think they could have done a better job last night. And... You know, as you said, there was no Grealish, there was no Saka, there was no Foden. This game against Denmark now, how do you, how do you think that Southgate approaches that? Do you think he goes back to the drawing board? Do you think he'll, he's going to use the same approach he's done and, and look at each game individually? Or, I, I mean, what would your advice be to him, I guess? I mean, if he'd listened to my advice, I'd be doing, doing exactly what he's done. He seems to be approaching each game differently. He seems to be, from what we gather, I mean, you know, I'm not privy to the machinations of the England squad, but he does seem to take into account how players are performing in training, who looks fitter, who looks fresher, how many games they've played and, you know, how sort of ready they are. So I think that's what he should take into the next game. I mean, 
he's, he's managed this squad so well. And you talk about the, the sort of the perfection of the Ukraine result. One of the best parts of that Ukraine performance in game was the fact we were able to take off Rice, able to take off Phillips, able to take off Kane, able to take off Sterling, you know, able to take off Shaw. Give these players either a rest or if they're on a yellow card, take them out of the, the firing line, which, you know, you, you, you don't usually get that sort of luxury of being able to do that. Like the game's so comfortably won, we can start messing about in a, in a semi-final. So he obviously has players in mind when he was taking them off the other booking that he's going to use, that he wants to use the players. And, and I think it's, it's, it's almost a given that the likes of Kane and Sterling, who's obviously been on fire as well, are going to start as part of an attack. But he may look at it and go, OK, Sancho's had 90 minutes. I'm not going to give him another night because he might be tired. I've, you know, Saka, I think he had a bit of a, was it a bit of an injury? I don't know what his situation is. Yeah, he had a knock in training. Yeah, if he's fully fit, he'll be obviously chomping at a bit. He might say, right, I'm going to bring him back in. Grealish, you know what he's about. He, he can look at it now and go, OK, let's look at who's doing well in training. Let's look at how much football they've played and how fit they are and take it individually because we've got this such a strong pool of players and I think defensively you know he may sort of stick to the, the usual suspects but going forward the great thing is is if he was to say start Jack Grealish in the next game I wouldn't have a problem with that if he was to start Sancho in the next game I wouldn't have a problem with that same with Phil Foden we've got so many exciting attacking players that it's almost like no matter who he picks oh wait, you're going to get people that are going to complain no matter what but almost I feel like no matter who he picks I'd be happy with because we've got such good talented attacking players and now you've got this faith in the manager who throughout this tournament has proved that the chances wrong so I think he should stick to what he's done best and that's just picking the players that he feels are right for this particular game. I guess if you look at it that way Rob the, the headache really lies in the Denmark camp because they literally don't know who England are going to put out or what formation they're going to play or who's going to appear in, in, in which position. And um, as I say, we'll, we'll look at Denmark in, in a little more detail in a moment. But um, one thing that really came out to me was, and it was picked up in the commentary as well, was after the game, the, the, way, that the, the way that the players now in this squad and very much under Southgate engage with the press. And obviously you're, you're, you're a football journalist, you get to go to these type of events, you were out at the World Cup in Russia. Um, ha have you noticed that difference as well in terms of like just the engagement? Because there seems to have been prior to Southgate a, a little bit of defensiveness and almost like they were they, they kind of felt like the press were looking for something to trip them up, and it seems to be almost like they've they've opened up a little bit and and brought the press in a little bit more, and that seems to make it feel more like we're all on the same side. Yeah, that's definitely also a strategy from the FA now is to kind of have more engagement in these kind of social media times between the squad, who obviously as top players from top clubs always have this engagement with, with the media anyway. It's more a continuation of that. And I think when you look back over the years, England have had maybe either old school managers or managers from abroad who do things differently, uh, having tighter camps. So like Fabio Capello would have closed camps and make sure that no one knew anything about what he wanted to do. So there is all of that. And I think Gareth uh, Southgate is quite savvy to all of those things. But, uh, but more than that, I do also just think that because there is a feel-good factor here, and it's maybe even running all the way back to the World Cup, like Southgate's been criticised for some of his tactics and his outlook in the past... It's just riding the crest of the wave, isn't it? And like I just said a minute ago, you know, they've still got this hump to get over with, with Denmark in the semi-final. It's a difficult game. It's a game, obviously, England should win. But, 
you know, if you go into that match and fail, especially when you're at Wembley, and you've got to remember now, the rest of the tournament is at home for England. This is now turning into a home Euros. That the expectation is to win, and if you don't win, then all of that criticism that we've just been talking about that isn't in place at the moment will suddenly fire like a gun. So it, it's a, it's still a very kind of balanced situation, I think, where England are, and Southgate's done well at managing the media and the players and, and everything that goes with it. But at the same time, we're not there yet, and people just need to be cautious. I don't know about you, Jay, but my heart's, you know, like, like I felt... Whoa. Uh, th- when Rob uttered that those three words, England should win. <laughs> I've uttered those words so many times um, over the years, and usually, like, there's been levels of delusion as well when we've played the likes of, uh, you know, Germany where they're in the pomp. But just on the back of what what Rob was saying, I felt a sort of a real turning point for Southgate, and when I felt he got a lot of the press on the side was at that was it the World Cup with the leaked team lineup. Or the, the whatever it was, it might have been his lineup or just his tactics, and he almost he was sort of rather than sort of circling the wagons or going after the press, he was sympathetic with them, and he said, you know, you you get trolled on social media. I know what that's like. I feel for you. I get the nature of this. You know, this is what you do. And I felt that got a lot of the the, the sort of the press on the side. And it's like as Rob was saying, it did feel differently. He does approach it differently, and that was like not what you'd have seen from previous England managers who would have gone berserk and just banned the entire press or tried to do something silly in terms of access to, to the players in the squad. He went the different route and was more sympathetic and more sort of friendly towards them. And I think that has helped a little bit. Yes, the press, or you're going to get elements of criticising him or whatever or questioning him, but it does feel like it's much more of a, a happy camp and the press are, are well involved in that. Yeah, but I suppose this, this is a guy who's had the worst of the press you know, after <laughs> yeah, missing that penalty in 96. And he's, and he's come through that whole thing with grace. And there's, there's, a, there's a wonderful... You know, I, I know we've talked about um, the, the, the Jamie Vardy movie that's on their cards, but really, there's there's a real story in Southgate if if this goes much further. Um, the, the only concern that I have about us playing at, at Wembley is that potentially, then, if 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 we do win it, the criticism is going to be, oh well, you only win it when you're at Wembley, <laughs> which means that we're going to have to bid for every tournament. Before we move on to <laughs> before we move on to uh, looking at Denmark and Czech Republic. Um, I want to just uh, bring up this and I, I, I ask if, if you guys have any particular superstitions when you're watching the game, especially now as it's getting to what your old boss would describe as squeaky bum time. Um, just because I saw this one tweet after the game of, of a young lad who had his hair cut before the Germany game and then shaved his head just before last night's game. So he now says his eyebrows are on borrowed time before the semi-final. So... Uh, I'm just curious as to like, is there a particular chair that you sit in? Is there a particular routine that you do before kickoff? Is you know, it, 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 or are, are you trying to be very scientific and clinical and move away from that? Well, I'm quite a scientific and clinical person, but also completely paranoid and 100% into superstition. So. When United last won the Champions League and I was in Moscow, I was wearing four coats because I wore all of them during every match and it was about 85 degrees. So this does happen to me all the time. I did put on a new pair of socks yesterday and I did say at the end of the game, these socks now need to be worn for the semi-finals and the final. So it's a weird thing with football fans, isn't it? We are, we're deeply superstitious. I walk on certain cracks of the pavement at Old Trafford as well for every match. Uh, people say you're crazy, but you're very analytical. But at the same time, this is all part of, of the game isn't it it's uh it's being invested i think is the word rather than saying being crazy jay have you got new socks on no i've just kept the same boxes on for the inside tournament and it seems to have worked so i'll just stick with that 
if things pan out and England do go on to win this, I'm sure the Football Museum uh, in Manchester would be interested in, uh, in, well, maybe just in Rob's socks, let's just say that. Well, my four coats, I think that's uh, the way to do it when it's, when it's 85 degrees in there and you feel like you're, you're in the desert or something like that. You are the real unsung hero of English football, Rob. We are going to take a little break there, but in a moment we're going to come back and we're going to look at the other quarterfinal that took place yesterday and presented England with their opponents in the semi-final as Denmark beat the Czech Republic 2-1. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily at European Championships 2020 edition. And uh, my name's Ant McGinley. I'm joined by Rob Blanchett and Jay Motti. We are looking now... At the other game that took place uh, yesterday, which was the Czech Republic, uh, who were in England's group and had the possibility of facing England again, against Denmark, who, as much as we talked about England in that first section, and I'm just going to add a little bit of balance to it now, for all that we feel that everything's coming together with England, and as I said, there's potentially a Hollywood script in the Southgate story, with the events that unfold in that first game for Denmark and everything the team have been through since, this is a competing narrative that we're up against. Whichever team goes through into the final, it will be a fairy tale story, I think, is one way to look at it. But let's look at the the performance yesterday and see if we can pick up things that um, England should be concerned about and need to watch out for as we uh, head towards that semi-final on Wednesday. So Rob, uh, was there anything in particular that stood out for you in terms of the Denmark performance or is it just more of the unity that we've seen throughout this tournament? It's the unity and I also think when you look at that quarter final, you know, it's it's two average teams and which one goes forward and who's actually got the impetus. So there's no doubt with obviously what's happened with Christian Eriksen that that's helped Denmark in their quest. You know, no one ever saw them getting to the last four. You know, credit to them, especially after losing their first two games, I think it was, the, that they're in this position. But this is why I said earlier on in the show that, that this is, you know, where England are, they should win. Because when you look at them just, you know, chemically, when you look at them kind of stylistically and the expectation, England are better than Denmark. So this Denmark team has done really well. They attack well. They're organised. Uh, they're motivated and obviously as we said the Ericsson narrative to the story is all there for everyone to see but it's up to England now to stop a calamity happening on the football pitch because Denmark should not be in a position to beat England but of course as we know football is a funny game and if I'm not wearing my four coats anything could happen Uh, Jay's done it again (laughs) They, they should beat them they're the better team. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just, I'm crying here. You've got, you, you've, you, I mean, you're right, but you have got to be honest, haven't we? Come on. I mean, listen, the, the team spirit of Denmark has been fantastic. As you know, they, they became everyone's second favourite team, didn't they, with what happened with Christian Eriksen. The fact that they went out that same, I think that same afternoon or same evening and finished the, played the, the, the rest of the finished game was, was remarkable to lose the, the first two games and come back with that, that was the win over Russia to get them, to get them through. And, you know, they've obviously got great team spirit. They have got good players as well. Let's not just say, oh, this is, you know, a terrible team. They're not. They've got some quality. It's just they haven't got as many players who you could argue are world-class or there or thereabouts as England do. You know, we're talking about the sort of the options that Gareth Southgate's got. And I don't see those kind of options for Denmark. Yes, they've got some good players. And I think they've got, you know, they've got a few players who've who've scored a couple of goals in the tournament. I think Poulsen and... um, 
isn't the other lad Goldberg as well and, and um, I forget his name is it Marler the, the other kid who's you know they've all been weighing in with goals so they can score goals and they've got that sort of you know I keep using the word team spirit, but it's there. That's what sort of you think of when you think of Denmark, what they've been through and the way they've rallied together and they're well organised. I just, I'm trying not to say what Robert said, but he's right. I just feel like when I look at that Denmark team and I look at the, the sort of what they've been through as well, which yes, it keeps you going and it keeps you motivated, but it's got to take a lot out of you as well. Yeah. You know, they've, they've been through such an emotional time, losing arguably the best player in such a, you know, a, a sort of horrific way. And then to bounce back from that and to keep going on that, you wonder, can they keep going all the way to the final with that sort of as, as a motivating, motivating factor? Or does it leave you a little bit drained? Will the, the game against England be, you know, one game too far? I'm hoping it will be. I know we're pulling out all the cliches here, but I'm hoping it will do. The main thing from an England point of view is that we just don't get too complacent. We don't look at this Denmark team and go, oh, these are, this is easy or, you know, we're already in the final, it's the, it's the, you know, the Italians or the Spanish we've got to worry about. We have to focus on this team because they have got quality players, they've got that team spirit and they've pulled out some results as well. And I, yes, they've not beaten a team the calibre of England in this tournament, but that doesn't mean they can't. Yeah, but then to be fair, we've not beaten a team the calibre of England in this tournament as well, you could argue. Um, I, 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 would, I would pick out Damsgaard for me as well in terms of some of the, the, the outstanding performances that we've seen from Denmark. And I think in terms of the the emotional impact of, of what happened with Ericsson, perhaps, you know, we saw that in their first, you know, in, in their second game as well and, and, and they've had a little bit more time together. And in terms of losing the best player, I think we can all probably think of examples where that's happened and yet it's actually worked in their favour. Uh, I, I remember going back many years when, when Man City sold Sean Wright Phillips um, there was a real change because up until that point, I think that, that you know for for the best part of a season and a half, the tactics had just been give it to Sean, and when he was gone, mm -hmm. suddenly the the players had to look to themselves. Um, the other thing I, I would dangle in front of your um, your collective uh, United faces is a little reminder that when uh, Southgate missed that penalty in Euro '96, uh, that tournament the defending champions were also Denmark, and. Um, there's another narrative running along there in the lineage of the goalkeeper. Yeah, um, Peter Schmeichel isn't my favourite ex-United player. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, you probably know why. And it's not the fact that he played for Manchester City. Lots of players play for Manchester City and Manchester United. But, you know, they don't always cartwheel in front of United fans after a derby win. But he was a very good goalkeeper. And, you know, there's no doubt that Kasper Schmeichel has stepped out of his shadow. And can we just say as well, Kasper Schmeichel is, you know, he's fallen into hero category, isn't he? What that, that man's been through, you know, obviously the tragedy at Leicester, I think he was one of the first on the scene. When what happened to Ericsson, he was comforting Ericsson's wife. He's he is a leader, isn't he? He is a he seems like a really sort of positive, strong sort of type of player. Not just in terms of his his, his goalkeeping capabilities, but what he does as well. Um and yeah, it's it's you know, it's you can't fault him for, for the, the way he's carried himself and what he's done especially in the face of such sort of, you know, adversity and also having to step out of his, his dad's shadow. But he's done all that. That being said, I still fancy England to be here. Rob, you were the one that said England should beat Denmark. I'm just going to throw it the other way. Should Denmark beat England, do you think they could go on to win it again? No. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> Zero chance. Zero chance that they beat a team like Italy or Spain in the final. 
They've done so well to get this far, and as we said, we know the story. But there's a other big thing that we've not talked about, and that's that they've had home advantage virtually the whole tournament. So they've been based in Copenhagen, and they've ridden that wave, and now they've got to go away and do it in, in front of 60,000 fans at Wembley, where England are the overwhelming favourites. I think also we can't let England off the hook here. You know, England, pound for pound, position for position, are a better team, a better squad than Denmark. Denmark, we've just talked about Casper. Casper, as we know, is a top-class Premier League goalkeeper. But when you look across the Denmark squad, they've got nothing compared to England. So I'm not. it's not a case of being confident of whether England can win or progress or would there be a shock in the hands if, if, uh, if Denmark themselves win. It's just that England are better. And we have to kind of sometimes now step away from maybe feeling that that downward turn towards England emotionally because we're so used to disappointment. We've all done it. We're all old enough here to to remember every failure for England. But when you look at this squad and you look at what England have got, England have got better players on the bench who have not played a minute yet for their country in this tournament that would walk into the Denmark team. So it's it's on all on Gareth and all on the boys now to actually go forward and show their quality because they should be booking their their place in the next round and they're at home in front of a home fans you know it's the advantage that anyone would love and die for to be able to do that in front of their own fans and they've got it against a team that really are not that much better than ukraine i mean i know i know i know what what rob's saying and obviously england have that that home advantage was the was the um the quarterfinal was it in Azerbaijan or somewhere like that yeah. one, in Baku, the, the Denmark Czech Republic game. But obviously England is you know it's at Wembley. And it's that's that gives you that sort of that massive massive advantage. Not just the fans and all that, but you know the great ground and the stadium you know better. And I think that does come into effect. So yeah, I, mean, I agree with Rob on what he's saying. On well, that I'm one. I'm pretty sure that uh, Southgate and his staff won't be taking it quite as for granted as as Rob is. But if you are, well, our friends over at Boyle Sports have got a great offer for you during the Euros. Uh, bet £10 on any England game during the tournament. And if your first bet loses, then you'll have £10 refunded into your account to use as a free bet. So if you fancy a flutter on England's uh, next game in the semi-final against Denmark, which apparently is a surefire thing, uh, head to boilsports.com to lay your stake or download the Boil Sports app. Unfortunately, I don't think England will get like a free hit at something else. Uh, terms and conditions apply. Uh, you've got to be 18 years or older and please check out begambleaware.org. Right, we're going to park that there, but we are going to pick up on a certain player who had a pretty good game uh, yesterday as uh, we look at the latest transfer gossip next. So hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. Ant McGinley here with Rob Blanchett and Jay Motti. And we're talking transfers. And let's first of all talk about uh, the performance of a certain Jaden Sancho who took to the pitch yesterday, his first appearance in the tournament um, for England. I know there was a lot of confusion amongst German fans why he didn't appear in the last game because they've been watching him tear up the Bundesliga for the last couple of seasons. And... He didn't seem to have any pressure on him that he was a £73 million player. Uh, Rob, let's come to you first. Uh, are you as excited as I think a lot of United fans are to see uh, Sancho playing at Old Trafford this season? Very much so. You know, you saw last night what Jaden's all about. Uh, I think it's been a little bit of a why he only got 
some like ten minutes in the in the group stages. Um, you could also say around the transfer, of course, to United, uh, maybe the England camp identified that that was on his mind and affecting performances. But you saw last night exactly what every German fan, every Dortmund fan, every Bundesliga fan knows about Jadon Sancho, and that is that he is a world class quality talent who's ready to perform on the biggest stage. And I know uh, Jay said earlier on there about uh, Southgate chopping and changing and obviously making decisions for each match. I think the 4-2-3-1 that we saw last night against Ukraine, that selection, that 11, that will be England's formation and their team for both the semis and the final if they get to it. Because that's the setup that allows England to play their best football. It means that you've still got Grealish and Foden in reserve. But it means that you can allow Sancho to go and create havoc and to make that space for Harry Kane in front of him. So that's why I think it worked so well against Ukraine with that result and the 4-0 because England actually were creative and it was the most creative they'd been really in the whole tournament. And I think Southgate will now stick rather than twist because I think if you change your your 11 after a 4-0 victory uh, going into a semi-final, that's a big jump. There might be one change, like you might see someone like Henderson come in. But I don't think we'll see the back four change. And I think we'll see that double pivot stay in place. Uh, and I think that's how England will go forward. And I think Sancho will have a huge part to play here if England get to the final. So we know how good he is. We, we got really good insight to that last night, Jay. But in that first game of the Premier League season uh, against Leeds at home, how do you see him fitting in the team? Who do you see? I, I suppose what I'm asking is who's going to drop out of that team and how do you see Sancho lining up in that uh, a front line for United? I think the most obvious one would be, I mean, Mason Greenwood has been the main man or the, probably the most regular starter on the right-hand side. I don't think that's his best position. I think he's, you know, he'd be much more better suited down the middle. So I expect Sancho's coming on the right-hand side. Um, probably Mason maybe to miss out and Edison Cavani to start in the middle. But I think with Cavani and Greenwood, you can sort of rotate them, obviously, for different reasons. Greenwood's youngster, Cavani's, you know, 34. So... I'd expect Jadon Sancho to be on the right-hand side and I think that means that one of Mason Greenwood or Cavani is probably going to miss out in the future. More than likely, I, I think that they'll just rotate. But more, for most games, I think that it will be Jadon Sancho on the right-hand side. Marcus Rashford on the left where he's just, that for me is just his best position. And then probably Edinson Cavani backed up by Mason Greenwood. But I think, you know, either way you look at it, whether it's Greenwood, whether it's Cavani, the fact that you've got someone like Sancho and Rashford and one of those two in your attack is just mouthwatering as a United fan. I mean, you know, he's, he's been tearing it up in the Bundesliga. We know what he's capable of. I hear what you're saying as well about the, the German fans and journalists. I spoke to a couple of German journalists late, last week and they were like, they just couldn't believe what, why Jadon Sancho wasn't playing for England. But is it Rob, as Rob says, his he's sort of Southgate's plan was to use him in the, the quarters, the semis and the final. Then And it proves to work. And it's an absolute masterstroke. And it's another player that we've got in the squad for England that has, like Kieran Trippier, has gone abroad and had, had great success. Rob, this is a transfer that comes as no surprise to anybody. Um, the only surprise maybe might be it's a little more money than people thought it might go for, maybe a little less. But why did it take so long? Because I think a lot of United fans especially were expecting this to happen sort of 12 months ago. Well, 12 months ago, Dortmund knocked to Manchester United's door and said, you can have the player, but you're going to have to give us 108 million quid. So that was reported widely. And of course, Manchester United scoffed at that. This deal is more kind of around the mid-70s. I think there's no add-ons. And that's exactly why it's happened this way. You know, we're in COVID times, we're in COVID finances in football. And 
United had the deal agreed with the player before we knew also that in February the player was very, very keen still to go to Manchester United. United said that they would revisit the deal. And when they did revisit that deal, uh, lo and behold, Dortmund, who'd had bad financial results, were much more happier to play ball at a price that suited United. So I think kind of 72 to 75 million as it's going to come in at looks like value. I know we've never said that before. Players coming to football clubs in the 70s and the 80s. But you're looking at a player here, Jadon Sancho, who has got that kind of generational talent in his feet. And United need it. United need someone on the right. They need another forward. They need to be able to knit together that attack. And the other side of looking at this is this, is that Jadon Sancho can also play on the left. He's actually played more on the left for Dortmund recently than he has on the right. And we're just talking there about Marcus playing on the left as well. But there is a theory that you might see Rashford revert through the middle at times for his pace and that Sancho might play the left and the right and actually be kind of, you know, dovetailing between the two, depending on what United need. So very excited about seeing Jaden at Old Trafford. I think he's the right signing. And he really should be the first of a few signings for United this year, because if United want to bridge that gap towards City, Sancho is the quality of signing that they need. Yeah, and, and he does look frightening as well. Now, Jay, uh, obviously when you bring new players into a squad, uh, somebody's going to miss out and it means that some players are going to be uh, moved on. And there's some rumours around uh, this morning that United are willing to let Donny van der Beek leave the club. Uh, Real Madrid amongst the clubs that are interested. It's never really happened for him at Old Trafford, has it? No, it hasn't. But I'd be surprised if he left, if I'm being honest, because... I always felt that, you know, yes, he cost a lot of money, 35 million, I think, but it's not like he was a signing where you go, okay, this isn't a Jaden Sancho 70 odd million pound signing where you go, he's straight in the team. And also, he was coming into a midfield that has the likes of Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes in it as well. So, we, you know, we have got top quality players in the midfield positions at Manchester United. Um, he didn't have many stats, but he played quite, you know, made quite a few appearances. And I just felt that he was being sort of gradually worked into the, the team. I felt it was more of a long-term idea with, with Solskjaer. It's like, you know, he's still only young. He's only 24, I think. Um, you know, get him in, give him some game time. Okay, he didn't, you know, he didn't like it. It's not like he made the positions his own when he came into the team where you're like, oh, he's, he's undroppable. But I thought in certain games he did okay. I just felt like this was the sort of strategy was for it to be like, we'll, we'll bet him in slowly. I might be wrong, you know, he might well be on, uh, on for a move. But, you know, Rob talked then about catching Manchester City and City have got such strength in depth. They've got so many options. And it would disappoint me, really, if we let a player go who is an option when we need more strength in depth. We need more players we can rely on because we haven't got the squad that Manchester City have. That's been our problem. So letting players go out who are very good players, who are international players who've, you know, done very well at Ajax as well, it just makes no sense to me because I think you need that strength in depth. If someone like a Fernandez or Pobre, or maybe even you know one of the more defensive-minded midfielders, is out, then Donny Van der Beek is going to get a chance. So I'm not I'm not for this move at all. I think we need to be strengthening our squad, not weakening it. And I think letting Van der Beek go, it just makes us weaker. I think one of the issues though with Van der Beek, and this is why I think he's probably going to leave United, is that with United playing a four-two-three-one, he doesn't really suit the double pivot in front of the defence. He's probably not got the pace to be in the three behind the striker. And there's no doubt that he's got quality, but he has struggled really, really so badly in Premier League scenarios. He's just not been able to come into the game and get up to pace. Now, of course, that's because he hasn't played games as well. I, I, I agree with what Jay's saying there about the strength and the depth. But if you do keep Paul Pogba at the football club and he signs a contract, I think he's going to play more higher up the pitch this year. And that means that Van der Beek just will not play. So, and you know, you've seen that Juan Mata signed a new contract that I think is to kind of 
to solidify the the reserves in that area behind the striker in in the formation. There's no way Ole's going to play anything but four two three one next year. It's just not going to change. And I think that leaves Van der Beek out on on a kind of on a ledge somewhere. And for him, he wants to play games. Uh, and when he came to the football club, we thought he'd be this kind of versatile entity. You know, he can play six, he can play eight, he can play ten. But as I said during the season, the only issue with that is that he doesn't play them very well. So that's a problem. He's a versatile player and he did well at Ajax. But I think in the United shirt, you know, he played almost 30 games last year coming off the bench and his impact was minimal. So I would like to see him stay at the club if he can feels he can make a go of it. But I just think his time's actually going to dwindle rather than actually getting more time in the team. Yeah, when you were saying about him playing different positions, I was reminded of that old joke about being at left back, left back in the dressing room. Um, uh, oh, and <laughs> um, be, before before we, you've been doing so well as well, mate. Honestly, you really have. I know, and I was I was biting my lip to not go. Well, it's only thirty five million. It's not like you're trying to buy the league, is it? Um, oh, mate. Um, so before before we we leave it for today, I just want to sort of take a moment to reflect back on on last night's result for England and uh, for 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 all. Is there a moment? Is there a highlight of the game that just you know you're going to keep with you that that is really going to stand out for you from that result? Can I can I just be the boring sort of United type fan? Well, United type fan, United fan, and just say Harry Maguire getting his goal for me stands out. Not just because obviously I'm United fan, but Harry Maguire this time or summer had a torrid time of it. He's always had this sort of question marks around him, and I think he I actually think he's underrated. I think he takes a lot of undue criticism. To see him get that goal and obviously Luke Shaw playing so well as well, it was just, it was, you know, it was just fantastic from both an England point of view and from a Manchester United one. That's one that sticks out for me. I think individual moments for me, it's just the the comeback kid, Luke Shaw. You know, for me to see what he's done in this tournament. You know, we said that at the end of last season, he's the best left back in the world, and people were still scoffing and saying, "Well, you know, United fans getting excited about their own players," but Luke Shaw really has turned it up a notch and I just think with the assist yesterday like obviously there that Jay highlighted with Harry Maguire's headed headed goal I was screaming for that to happen when I saw Luke Shaw going up to that kick I was going right get that ball on Harry's head because we've seen it before and we need to see it more at Manchester United but you know we saw it yesterday and I just think with Luke he, he deserves all the praise in the world and as I said if England do get to the final he's going to be a major part of this success. For me the the moment that summed it all up was the look on Jordan Henderson's face uh, when he scored that goal because it was exactly the same expression that every England fan had when whenever a goal's gone in during that game it was that raw I I can't even find all the words to describe it but just that just encapsulated everything that it felt to be an England fan at that moment I think yeah it's it's, it's a credit to Gareth Southgate that he's he's actually managed to get you know. United fans cheering a Jordan Anderson goal. It's just like, it just feels like a proper likeable team that everyone's sort of coming together in a way that just hasn't happened in the past. There's always been that sort of division and I don't feel it this time around with this England team. I really don't. And it's the perfect storm, isn't it? Because England have got good players. I know we said earlier on about having world-class talent in the past, the golden generation, all of that. But this is the first England squad I can remember that has real strength, real depth, real harmony. Yes, Southgate deserves all of the praise that goes with that. But as you said, you know, Jordan Henderson heading the goal in and Manchester United fans on their knees. 
you know, this this is kind of where England are at the moment. And you've got to keep riding this crest of a wave because you've got the quality, the expectation is there. Now you've got to go and deliver. Yeah, but as, as soon as the tournament's out of the way, I'm just going to slag you all off again. <laughs> oh, obviously, man, come on. We all know that. As soon as the final whistle goes for the last game. <laughs> uh, Jay, Rob, thank you so much uh, for coming on and joining me uh, this morning to look at, back at what was a momentous day and there's another one coming Wednesday night at Wembley England take on Denmark and yes in the semi-finals of the European Championships uh, there will be another show out before that and after that no doubt as well uh, but in the meantime remember to enable the sports social skill on your smart speaker device and you can get updates and all the latest transfer gossip on your Premier League team uh, I'm Ant McGinley this has been Football Social Daily thank you very much for listening Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk.